Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, everybody. Um, welcome to the town hall meeting hosted by the New York State Commission for the Blind. Here with us today, we have Julie Hovey and Jane Sullivan. And we're gonna go around the room and do some introductions so everybody knows who's in the room. This is being hosted by ACB Radio Live and there is a Zoom link that has been circulated to everybody. Um, we're gonna start some introductions now and uh, welcome. Hi, I'm Jane Sullivan, the um, district manager of the Buffalo Regional Office for the Commission for the Blind. And I am going to come around with the microphone. Hi, I'm Julie Hovey with the New York State Commission for the Blind. Hi, I'm Mike Forzano from Bronx, New York. Six Martin from Greater New York. Richard Fiorello in Buffalo, New York. Virgilio Amo, Albany, New York. Mike O'Brien, Troy, New York. Bob White, the Bronx. Monica Higita from College Point. Vivian Higita from College Point. Anita Williams from Hamburg, New York. Carlene Fiorello from Buffalo, New York. And Ian Foley, president of the American Council of the Blind of Western New York Incorporated. Good morning. Kathy Lyons, vice president of the American Council of the Blind of Western New York, AKA Buffalo. Hi, Martin Cahill, Westchester County. Hi, Rodney Stanford, Westchester County. Morning, everybody. Tammy Owen from uh, VIA, formerly Olmsted Center for Sight. Glad to be here with everybody. Hi, and I am Karen Blackowitz, president of the American Council of the Blind of New York. So I'm gonna turn the mic over to Julie Hovey. And if everybody can um, just be a little patient, Julie will tell you when she's ready to take some questions and we will go through the room and the Zoom room um, as efficiently as possible. So welcome, Julie. So um, I'm Julie Hovey with the New York State Commission for the Blind. Uh, I coordinate our quality assurance program statewide, and I'm the liaison for the business enterprise program. It's nice to see some people from Westchester. I'm originally from Rockland, but I'm based in Newburgh, so Orange County. Well, it's my pleasure to be here with all of you today, and thank you for the opportunity to share about the Commission for the Blind. As you know, the Commission for the Blind is going through a transition period with respected leaders who have retired or left state service, including Associate Commissioner Brian Daniels, our Deputy Director Barbara Kellerman, and the Downstate Regional Coordinator Jason Eckert. I know that the American Council of the Blind and the Commission have a strong relationship built on mutual trust. The Commission continues to support all that you do while we continue to believe that blind New Yorkers should have equal access to participate fully in their communities. The pandemic has taught us so much more than we ever knew before about the importance of working together. The Commission for the Blind staff and all of our partner agencies work tirelessly to ensure that blind New Yorkers continue to receive quality services during a very difficult time. Whether they met with someone on Zoom or talked to them on the phone or maybe met them at home, the efforts helped make a difference and played a role in helping people achieve their goals. I know that the American Council of the Blind advocated to ensure equal access to information about vaccines and other important pandemic related issues. Early in the pandemic, the commission had to make some changes as to how we provide service. We moved to a mostly remote service system and have since transitioned to more in-person and some mixed services via Zoom. 
During COVID, our counselors and service providers responded to the growing needs of the people we serve. These needs included access to the online community, which has become imperative to our knowledge of what is going on in the world. It is also our link to communicating with others when we became isolated at home during the pandemic. The commission and private agencies recognize these needs for greater communication and social work and assistive tech services became crucial. We also worked to provide virtual programming when appropriate. Agencies developed curriculums or revised in-person programs to be provided virtually for adults and for transition age youth, especially during the summer months. This was surely a new way of providing services and we did our best to make sure everyone had some option during this time. Through our evaluation of virtual programming, we realized some things. Some services are best provided in person, especially instruction-based services like mobility and vision rehab teaching. We learned that some pre-vocational and placement services can be provided virtually, and even better, some in-person with some virtual. Most importantly, every participant should have a choice in their programming and be able to receive in-person services when preferred. We will continue to evaluate all services and programming to offer the best options and we continue to need stakeholder feedback regarding the provision of these services. Yesterday, the Commission for the Blind celebrated White Cane Awareness Day to recognize the white cane, symbolizing independence and all that can be possible. We had 10 presenters and about 135 people attended. It was a great opportunity to highlight the commission and success stories. The commission is required by our federal partner, the Rehab Services Administration, to conduct a comprehensive needs assessment every three years. We have been working with a vendor for the last year and have completed the draft report, which will be available on our website when it is finalized. One of the most exciting parts of this assessment was a study which was conducted about Braille. The study focused on used focus groups to discuss the role that Braille plays in one, one success. It looked at the experience people had when they received services from the commission. It also surveyed professionals who provide Braille instruction. There was a survey conducted of vision rehab teachers and teachers for the visually impaired as well. We look forward to improving access to Braille services and hearing from stakeholders and advocates to help us promote Braille literacy. You may have noticed that in the past few years, we've witnessed a steady decline in vision rehab professionals, particularly mobility instructors and vision rehab therapists. In recent months, this seems to have accelerated with some agencies being unable to deliver services. Our contract agencies have struggled as have we, and in their response to this, the New York State Commission for the Blind led by Brian Daniels has worked to develop a program which many of you are familiar with. This program will train paraprofessionals in vision rehabilitation. We are doing this in support with the SUNY Empire State College, and we hope that in the future, this will lead to a four-year degree program in both O&M and VRT in collaboration with SUNY once again. I'd like to give an update on the business enterprise program, which was provided to me by Louise Werner, our director. During COVID, many stores had to close or shut down for an extended period of time. The agency did our best to support all blind vendors and provide rehabilitation and support whenever was needed. We were able to offer some COVID relief. We received a grant from the RSA to assist with lost income. We assisted managers to cover some losses with fair minimum return payments. 
we offered stock grants for lost inventory due to store closures. And we continue to add vending locations to support current businesses. Currently, about 60% of our stores are open statewide. The Albany District has about 60% open. Buffalo has 90%. And New York City is at 45%. We roughly have 77 facilities and 62 licensed managers. The Commission has supplied managers with PPE and plexiglass to reopen safely. We have replaced vending machines and equipment during this period. And we have used Zoom, text messaging, conference calls to keep in touch with all managers. There's also a microchip shortage that is affecting vending. And these are back ordered now until January or February. The BEP program does expect to hire new staff in home office, the Albany district and New York City. Over the past year, we took our first partnering location with the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy in Kings Point. We also had an annual State Committee of Blind Vendors meeting in person in August, and we licensed four individuals since the start of the pandemic and added our first manager-run micro-market. For training, we are using the flexibility of online courses and continuing to make training available. We have currently have several trainees in the Western region. Some changes have occurred in federal locations due to executive orders concerning federal minimum wage and vaccine mandates, as well as telecommuting has also affected our businesses. I wanna thank you all for having me today and Jane and I are happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much, Julie. Um, so I have a question and it's gonna be a tough one. Um, but I guess that's my job, right? So I'm going to change hats here for a minute. I'm going to take off the president hat and I'm going to put on the chairperson from the State Committee of Blind Vendors hat. And curious enough that um, New York State Commission for the Blind is partnering with SUNY on um, some additional training and, and rehab and O&M and all that great stuff. Uh, a little curious how the Commission for the Blind got a hold of SUNY to do that, but not make sure that the priority is being upheld with the blind vendors that SUNY has contracted with. And we're told there's no communication. So if you can answer that, I'd be very happy. Um, so the program is the um, Empire State College program that I was referring to, the paraprofessional program. Um, and SUNY Empire State College is the contact. Uh, I really don't have more information than that, um, but they've been working together for the last several years to try to get this program off the ground. Their contact is directly, you know, Empire State College. These are people that work on curriculum and things like that in the college. That's really the best answer I can give you. That's fine, thank you. Good morning. Uh, this is Nancy D. Miller. I'm the executive director, CEO of Vision Services for the Blind and Visually Impaired and an ECB member. Um, thank you so much for the uh, summary of the work that the commission has done. And speaking as a private agency director, I, I really have to commend the commission for responding so um, swiftly uh, with the issues that we've been dealing with around COVID. 
I, I do want to bring up one thing that was mentioned in, uh, in the report, and that has to do with the evaluation of virtual and remote service delivery um, as compared to in-person services. And it would really be helpful, I think, if the commission would sponsor a meeting just to talk about that issue with both the providers and the consumers, um, because it, it absolutely is true that each service is handled differently when it's remote versus in person. And although I, I totally agree that O&M and VRT are best provided in person, there are aspects of both of those services that can be offered remotely and were offered um, with the involvement of the participant. So I think this is a broader issue than just COVID. And I think it's worth having a special conversation and a special meeting. I, I know also that the nine social workers that work at Visions um, have been very, very pleased with the results that we've been able to have with participants who have chosen to have virtual counseling because the participant found it much easier without having to travel, uh, without having to um, leave home, especially with the Delta variant still being virulent in the New York City area and, and other parts of the state. Uh, so I, I really think it would be helpful to not end the discussion, but to actually promote more discussion about when does it make sense, um, not only for the individual consumer, but for all consumers to hear from each other and with the providers present about what they feel is working and is not working so that the commission can use that feedback in making determinations going forward. I also think that um, the digital divide became so apparent during COVID that individuals who were blind that did not have access to the internet were at a really bad disadvantage. And for working blind individuals who have gone through the commission process, um, they do get equipment available to them, purchased for them in the workplace. But that does not mean that all blind individuals have access to that same equipment at home. And I think that's another issue. We found it particularly difficult for older blind individuals who don't have access to the internet to stay on top of all of the information that they needed, certainly to be able to participate in programming, which went virtual. And as we all know, the, the desperate problems that people had 
with uh, finding vaccination sites because the websites themselves were not accessible and people didn't always have enough help to get them the vaccination appointments that they needed. So the two areas I would ask the commission to further um, spend time on is the mix of virtual and in-person and how we can address this terrible digital divide uh, for particularly low income, but also many middle income blind individuals who don't have access to the internet at home. Uh, the commission may be aware that there was $15 million put in the state budget, uh, the one that was passed last April, and it is under the auspices of the state education department. And that money is supposed to be distributed to try to address the digital divide in New York, not specific to blindness, but we wanna make sure that when that request or proposal is released, that it is inclusive of people with disabilities and certainly inclusive of people of all ages. And it should not just be a fund because the legislation doesn't require it. That should not just be a fund for uh, children in school but should be a fund to address the digital divide across the age span and across people with disabilities, including people who are blind. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. This, this is Nancy Miller. I, I'm still here. Um, I can um, restate the two issues that that I brought up to the commission. One is to further the conversation around uh, remote versus in-person services and keep that a running conversation between consumers, providers, and the commission. Um, because I think that this is an issue that we wanna deal with, not just for COVID. And the other issue I brought up was the digital divide that we still have many blind people living in New York that don't have a way to connect to the internet. And there are some state resources that could very well apply to helping bridge that divide, but the request for proposals has not yet been released. And I would urge my colleagues at ACB and also the commission to try to influence the state education department to make sure that when that request for proposal is released, that it allows for people with disabilities, as well as people across the entire age span to be able to apply for that funding so that people who currently don't have accessible technology or don't have affordable internet connection would be able to get that. Um, not only to deal with issues around COVID, but unfortunately it's not likely to be the last pandemic that we're gonna deal with. And it certainly is not the last emergency 
that we need to deal with and helping people get access to the accessible technology that they need at home and the training to use it and the connection to the internet and Wi-Fi or broadband at an affordable rate is something that's being looked at nationally but is urgent here in New York State. Um, our experience vision services for the blind and visually impaired, we serve the um, southern part of New York State from the tip of Long Island to just below Albany. And we've seen about 50% of the older blind people that we serve have no access. They don't have a smartphone. They don't have any technology at all to connect to the internet. And we serve a primarily low income population. And that is the case across the board for all ages, that it's, um, it, it's an income issue as well as a blindness issue that people don't have the right technology that would allow them to connect. If I might take just a few other minutes since I realize there aren't as many speakers, there are two other issues that I just wanna to bring to the attention of the commission and my ACB colleagues. Um, Visions and um, many of the providers have been advocating for more access to trained job coaches. I think many of you are aware that many of the people who are blind that we're serving now are multi-disabled and more and more we're getting referrals of people who are legally blind and also developmentally disabled or intellectually disabled. And job coaching is essential for those individuals to be able to make it in competitive integrated employment um, or to make it in any job. And the commission is restricted in how many weeks they can support job coaching. So I really urge that the commission work closely with OPWDD and OMH so that there's a smooth transition for those legally blind individuals who get short-term job coaching through the commission, but then have to transition uh, through Access VR or another state agency for long-term job coaching. And that transition isn't as smooth as it could be. And it really is an important role for the associate commissioner um, and the administrative staff at the commission to help overcome some of the hiccups that occur when a person needs long-term job coaching. And even the short-term job coaching, um, there are always questions that are raised about whether or not the person actually needs it. And I think we all have to get better at justifying when a job coach really can make the difference between somebody remaining employed or not being employed. And that's true on the provider side, on the participant side and on the commission side, um, because I think those job coaches 
are going to be essential. And especially now that the federal government is trying to eliminate sheltered workshops, the old sheltered workshops that have a 14C exemption from the Department of Labor and pay less than minimum wage, the federal government is working very hard to eliminate that um, exemption. And we are going to see more and more people with developmental disabilities or multiple disabilities coming into the commission system. The second issue that I want to bring up, and I know I sound like a, a, a recording because I've been talking about this for over 25 years, but we are still advocating for New York State licensure of vision rehabilitation therapists and orientation and mobility specialists. Um, I thank my colleagues at ACB, ACB, AER, um, all of the private nonprofit agencies have been supporting licensure and we're hopeful with a new governor um, and also with uh, the support of whoever the new associate commissioner is and the support of Commissioner Sheila Poole <coughs> that this could be the year for licensure. And why is licensure so important? I, I can give you many examples um, in the schools when an IEP is written, the orientation and mobility specialist is the only person sitting at the table who isn't licensed by the state. The TBI is licensed, the OT is licensed, everybody, every professional, um, nurses, doctors, social workers are all licensed, but our specialized professionals are not. And it means that they don't have the same clout or the same um, ability to advocate. And in some cases are, are not given the authority that they, that they should have to advocate on behalf of what the particular blind student needs. Um, we also see so many situations of young people who could come into the field who choose instead to become occupational therapists or physical therapists or speech therapists or social workers um, because they are licensed professions. And as we heard from the commission, you know, to their amazing credit, and, and I do give credit to Brian Daniels and his team, we have this wonderful entry level program at Empire State College. We have six students who have started this brand new program. It's free. Um, any student can apply. It will be a certificate in Vision, rehabilitation, vision rehabilitation therapy assistant and orientation and mobility assistant. And the goal of the commission and all of the supporters is to eventually make this a four year degree program that will graduate professional BRT and ONM staff. So we need to do everything possible to encourage people to come into the field. It's not just a New York State problem. It's a national problem that we do not have enough professionals 
to provide the services that are needed. And if I can be frank, it's a fantastic job for people who are blind themselves. Uh, we, we have many blind professionals working at Visions as BRT or O&M or both. And uh, we need you. We need you to, to come into the field. And we need interested parties to come into our field to help us deal with this personnel shortage. We have in New York State right now hundreds, hundreds of job openings that are not filled because we don't have VRT and ONM staff to fill it. And that includes the schools, it includes the private agencies, it even includes the commission itself at times has trouble filling its own VRT and ONM positions. It's true at the VA hospitals, and it's true for those people who are in private practice. So anything we can do to make this a more um, interesting profession for people outside of the field of blindness and a, a choice for people who are blind, you know, we strongly, strongly advocate for that. So thank you for the time. And that was Nancy Miller from Visions. Thank you so much. Just regarding the um, job coaching that was brought up. Um, so if a participant goes through placement services and needs a job coach, the commission currently can provide those services through one of our private agencies. I think what Nancy was referring to had to do with more long-term supports, which we consider follow along. And those are typically provided through supported employment. And typically a person before they uh, find a job and they start working with us and engage in supported employment, we identify if they can receive follow along extended services, job coaching through either OPWDD or OMH. The difficulty happens if somebody is not eligible for OPWDD or OMH and they require follow-along services. We don't have um, you know, a long-term component for follow-along. So we provide services until the person is stable, until they're doing well. We hope for natural supports you know, in the, in the job, and we certainly can reopen somebody's case and post-employment services if they need it. But as far as I know, unless Jane has any other um, examples, typically follow along extended is provided through OMH and OPWBD. And there is a gap sometimes that happens if somebody is not eligible for those services. We certainly will provide job coaching though as long as it's needed um, to make sure somebody is stable on the job. And that would be for, for anybody that gets our services. We wouldn't close their case if stable and we would provide services as long as necessary. Hi, um, thank you for uh, allowing me to speak on behalf of the Long Island Council of the Blind today. I would just like to echo Nancy's comments, especially regarding the increased need for um, supportive, long, more long-term supportive services. I understand the quagmire that the commission's in but maybe uh, because of the comorbidity that is becoming more and more prevalent between individuals with 
significant disabilities such as brain injury and developmental disabilities and blindness because cortical visual impairments are becoming more and more identified. Um, maybe something could be looked at where there could be a bigger partnership between the commission and OMH or OPWDD uh, because as we all know, job coaches don't last forever and natural supports are great until they're not. And we don't want that to really affect somebody's ability to succeed in employment. It's really important, I think, to help people build supports, whether they be natural or not. The reality in today's world, especially with the elimination of the 14C certificates, is that some people need those added supports. And I think we need to be respectful and cognizant of the fact that the individuals that need that added support should not fall by the wayside and not get um, as much service as possible to help them long-term. Thank you. Hi, Lori, it's Jane Sullivan. If I could respond. I know um, we are that quagmire. We can barely hear you. Okay. Can you hear me now? Nope. Is it because I'm too far away? You can, can you hear me now? That's much better. Okay. Maybe it's where I was standing. I know there is that quagmire uh, when we have participants who do obtain employment through direct placement services. Um, we don't have a mechanism to provide long-term job coaching. And there right. are some individuals that are not eligible for supported employment for whatever reason. Um, I do know that um, when, I have, uh, when I worked as a VRC, one of the things we did or I did working uh, with participants who were able to obtain employment but we were pretty certain that at some point after they were successfully placed and their case was um, closed with the Commission for the Blind that there may need to be intervention. And I was able to, at least in those cases, open the case under post-employment services to provide some short-term job coaching uh, for a few months if some intervention was needed in terms of helping the participate communicate with an employer, um, you know, deal with accommodation questions, um, or just needed somebody to be able to um, talk with in regards to, say, anxi anxiety on the job or something like that. So I was able to do that, and people were able to stay successfully employed. I understand it's somewhat of a band-aid, but it's one workaround I, I had some success with. And the only other thing right now that I can offer from my end is that um, participants who I've worked with who have become successfully employed and have needed some support after the fact, um, even though their case has been closed with me, I have followed up. They have reached out to me over say five or six years um, and I have been there in a sense as their counselor, their long-term job coach, and have offered to provide that because they needed that and there was no other way to do it. Again, I know it's a Band-Aid, um, but those are some things we've been able to do. Um, as for the bigger global picture, 
Um, I don't have an answer for, for that, but I just wanted to share what I, you know, creatively have tried to do. What is the uh, latest on the VIEW Act having to do with the uh, uh, early intervention um, and registration of uh, infants with vision impairments? I'm sorry, I don't have any update or answer on that. Uh, Ian Foley, wow, that's loud. Um, so I did a little research just to kind of create a legislative update for this afternoon's business meeting. And the VIEW Act, the Vision uh, Infant Vision Information Education and Wellness Act, which is basically your infant screening act, um, or infant screening bill, has basically been stuck in the health committee uh, for all of this year. It has not left committee. It hasn't gone to the floor for a vote. Um, neither House, neither the Senate nor the State Assembly. So... Unfortunately, it's just, it's just not gaining traction yet. But, you know, this is the first time we introduced it as well. So, you know, remembering what Clark said yesterday on the federal level, sometimes it takes eight years to pass a bill. Sometimes in the state level, it takes us two or three as well. So, you know, keep that in mind. This is the second year of the legislative session that we're coming into. So, when we go this April, we'll be probably pushing that bill again. Yeah, this is Mike Forzano. My question is, what, what services does the commission provide to blind people who are already employed? I'm wondering particularly about O&M, like, for example, if you wanted just some help getting around the subway in New York City, uh, and what is the current wait time for those services? Hi. Uh, so if somebody is currently employed, they can receive post-employment services. Um, and, for example, you mentioned mobility. So you would contact your local district office um, and discuss, you know, reopening your case, telling them you're employed. Um, each agency, uh, you know, would be slightly different in wait times. But currently now, I'm not aware really of any wait times, uh, especially downstate. I have not heard of any. So it shouldn't be a long wait. You would meet with your counselor, um, discuss whatever services you're interested in, and then... Um, work with a, a private agency to, to receive those services. And as far as the different services, I think you asked um, orientation and mobility, vision rehab teaching, sometimes people return for assistive technology services, um, social casework, low vision. You would, you know, uh, certainly get a chance to talk to your counselor and see what is what you think might help you. Okay, so my name is Vivian. Um, my question is, in regards to the WET program that you have over the summer for students, um, can you explain, like, uh, in terms of when, after you finish your work program, that um, usually SSI seems to deduct the amount um, when you receive, even after you submitted your letter? Um, can you explain why that... Um, the agencies that you work for over the summer tends to put wages rather than putting something else so that SSI does not deduct it? Um, well, this is Jane. I think we have seen that in the past. I mean, I can speak locally from the Buffalo Rochester area that we try to make sure any of our students who are set up with work experiences, essentially what happens is the commission for the there, the student will be with an employer or business, and the Commission for the Blind actually subsidizes the income that the student receives from the employer. But yes, it is considered income. You're on payroll, correct? 
Um, we try to make sure, at least locally from our end, through our pre-vocational programming and getting prepared for work experiences, that students and their uh, family um, or guardians, et cetera, um, understand the workings of SSI um, and we can refer for benefits advisement services um, that can be provided by certified work incentives benefits advisors that can go through the process and help uh, a family, student, working adult, et cetera, understand what may need to be reported. We are not the experts, and that's why we will refer for certified benefits advisement. Uh, locally, we work with various agencies who can provide that, local independent living centers, our neighborhood legal services um, in Buffalo, one of our vision rehab agencies, they all have certified benefits advisors. Um, and because we're not the experts, my understanding is I thought that there was some communication that needed to take place in regards to somebody being a student and working and that would have an impact on what was considered in terms of income for something like SSI. But again, not being the expert, we try to make sure that people are set up with benefits advisement so they understand that going into the work experience. Kathy Lyons, former employee of uh, Internal Revenue Service. And I just want to point out that wages are paid to employees. And to be an employee, there has to be, the employer has to have the right to hire and fire and to determine the schedule and to determine the work that is to be done by the employees. So I know you can't decide it, but if someone is in a program and that's part of their program, but that the commission doesn't have the right to hire or fire or determine what they do or when they do it, that it seems that those are not wages and should be reported elsewhere. And that should eliminate the problem of SSI taking it out of their payments. So um, I'm not saying this as a permanent thing that needs to be done, but just as information and that the commission look into that process to see if that can be recategorized. Thank you. This is Julie. Um, so I know that this has come up before and just to clarify, uh, we really do recommend people meet with their benefits advisor and also have contact with the Social Security Administration. It is considered a work experience training. It is limited typically to 12 weeks. Uh, and the Commission for the Blind subsidizes the salary like Jane said, but we're not actually acting as the employer. We actually pay one of our private agencies for the blind they set up the agreement with the local employer and they do consider it wages at Social Security, but it is part of a training program and it is short term. So I, I definitely would make that recommendation to people that they get benefits advisement and also you really do need to be in contact with the Social Security Administration because they do make allowances for students who are doing internships and training programs, but those things have to be identified in advance. The employer does sign an agreement which talks about wages, it talks about hours, it talks about job duties. That's all set up with the employer. The commission and the private agency for the blind are part of the process, but they're not actually the employer, really, either one of them. It's Maureen Lyons, and 
I'm wondering what the role of the commission would be in terms of advocating for audible pedestrian signals. We, we certainly have, um, you know, worked with localities in the past, but it's typically um, local agencies for the blind that have been much more instrumental, independent living centers, um, places like that. We don't typically get um, requests for this. If we do, we typically refer it back to, you know, like I said, an independent living center uh, or an agency for the blind. This is Jane. Take my mask off. I can say again at the local level, Buffalo, Rochester, um, we, um, our commission office is um, lucky enough to have two mobility specialists and in one in Buffalo area, one in Rochester, and they have worked with directly whether, whether it's with local municipalities or Department of Transportation to advocate for getting audible signals set up, um, signage in specific areas, um, and they've also both been very involved with the local organizations for paratransit, NFTA here and RTS in Rochester. So um, definitely though, we do it in conjunction with our um, vision rehab agencies as well. And I know the mobility instructors, at least locally, will share information about that, but they definitely do advocate and have had some successes. So if I'm asking anything out of ignorance here, please forgive me. But when, when I first was working with the commission, um, they didn't give me any sort of recommendation about joining ACB. Uh, I came to ACB from another member that was in a support group that the commission sponsored. Um, and I have the impression at least that there's some barriers that exist between any type of official connection between the local commission office and the local chapter of the ACB. Um, and I'm wondering if, the, if that is in fact the case, if there's anything that can be done to sort of remove some of those barriers. If, if the, if our group in, in Westchester, for example, you know, were providing some, some sort of mentoring or something for people that were newly blind and that sort of thing, if, if the, the state commission could work with us in terms of recommending people to us or, or recommending us to them and that type of thing. And also if in terms of providing programming for our membership and stuff, if there, if we could get official representation from the commission, not just people that happen to work for the commission kind of coming and be, if the, if there could be a more, a more uh, formal relationship between say uh, the Westchester commission office and the Westchester council. Hi. Um, so the Commission for the Blind does give out information to all new participants on the American Council for, of the Blind, as well as the National Federation of the Blind. We have what we call intake packets, for lack of a better word, and we do give out information on both organizations. Um, so this way people have that information. Uh, if asked later in the process, you know, maybe somebody still had a question or they didn't get it, we would give them both membership organizations information. Um, I know I originally started in the Westchester office. I worked there for many years. And if we are invited to come and speak about the commission, we are happy to do that in any region. So the Westchester district office manager is Anna DeReyes. You can certainly reach out to her. I believe, you know, like I said, we have relationships in different parts of the state. I'm sure Jane can speak for the Buffalo area, but hopefully that helps. 
Thank you. This is Nancy Miller again. I, I just wanted to speak to the WET uh, question that came up. For many, many years, Visions did not employ people who were WETs. Um, they were treated as trainees. Um, they were not given wages. They were given a stipend which was allowed and is still allowed under the Department of Labor. Several years ago, the commission made a decision that all private agencies that were hosting WETs are required to treat them as employees. So this is something that if participants want the commission to revisit that, Legally, under both the state and the federal Department of Employment, there is a category called trainee where the person is not considered an employee and where the money that they earn would not be an issue with SSI. Um, that was a commission decision. It was not a private agency decision. Um, and it is something that the ACD or any other group might want to uh, revisit and have considered. But as was just explained, the work experience training now is employment. We have to onboard all WETs as employees. They are employees of the private nonprofit agency that contracts with the commission but the work site is often outside of the private agency. It could be a for-profit or a non-profit organization where the WET is hosted, or it could be the private agency themselves if that is the um, most uh, effective experience that that individual would have based on what their individual um, employment goal is. But I, I just want to just put on the record that it could have been done differently and it still can be done differently, um, but right now it's not allowed under the requirements of the commission. Thank you, Nancy. Well, thank you very much for having us. It was very nice to be here. I hope that we answered um, your questions. And please feel, feel free to reach out to any of us or your district offices as well. Hi, this is Rosanna Beaudry from Long Island Council of the Blind, president, president of the Long Island Council of the Blind and treasurer for ACBNY. Um, I, I just have a quick question and I, I really applaud a lot of what Nancy Miller said and Lori as well. Um, there's so much that is needed in those areas. Uh, up until now, what has or is the commission doing going forward for programs for seniors so that those people who are older who might not be in a job seeking situation at this point, but are older who also do need to be in touch with the outside world, due to thanks to COVID and everything else, um, they still do need computer training and iPhone and things of that nature so that they can 
be in touch with what is going on. Unfortunately, we live in a world now where unless you are connected, you really can't accomplish much. It's just a reality. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to say in reference to what Nancy had spoken about, about the O&M and the need for O&M and what had happened during COVID and the pandemic, I would just share a uh, something that I did that uh, was very, very helpful. Uh, HKNC, Helen Keller National Center, had provided a virtual group meeting for those who were in O&M instruction and wanted to continue to talk about O&M. And I personally was involved in that group and I found it very, very helpful in the sense that as we were coming to, out of COVID, coming to a better point in COVID where O&M instructors were now starting to go back out into the community. Uh, our topic of discussion was how do we, as clients, uh, go back into the into the world from the point of mobility? Because after being uh, inside or isolated for a year or more. How do you deal with going to a store? How do you deal with walking uh, out with your dog if you have a guide like I do? How do you deal with being six feet apart from someone if you go into a food store? These were all issues that came up during this, you know, this group that met. And the O&M instructor was able to address those issues so that each of us could start to take small steps back out into the community to the point where we now are able to be with an O&M instructor in person. So I just wanted to share that only because I it really was helpful and maybe other people might find something like that helpful as well. And other than that, I my only question is where is the commission at at this point in terms of being able to help seniors get online and get the skills that they need so that they can also continue to be independent and uh, um, play a role in society. Rosanna, thank you so much for your questions. Okay, thank you for your, your question and your comments. Um, so the older blind program, uh, is undeniably, it's limited in what it can provide. It provides orientation and mobility, social casework, vision rehab teaching, adaptive equipment, uh, helps you know bridge the gaps with having people um, reach out within their community, tries to help them develop community ties. Uh, there really is no component or funding at this time for us to purchase high tech or computer equipment, pay for internet, uh, you know, software programs, things like that. We acknowledge that the older blind, uh, you know, deserve to be able to have access to all of these things. We just do not have the ability to provide those services. Um, we are um, continuing our collaboration and partnership with the New York State Office for the Aging. We are trying to work with them to see what other services they can provide. 
Many local Office for the Aging um, do work with our private agencies for the blind very closely. They work with our district offices. We definitely have relationships with them. We encourage our participants to reach out to them and any other senior programs that are available um, to see if there's anything. Uh, I know that some localities do offer computer training for seniors. There are computers in community centers. That would, of course, not help anybody during COVID, I understand, because they're not going out in the community. Um, but it is something that we know is a gap. It has always been a gap, and it, I think the pandemic brought that out more. We certainly are happy to have these discussions and engage uh, around it and try to come up with solutions, but we currently don't have any other additional funding in this program or necessarily a way to, to solve that at this time. Uh, and I also appreciate the comments about the Helen Keller National Center virtual program, uh, and maybe we, we um, didn't say it enough, but I would say it now that we appreciate all the virtual programming that went on um, around all different topics, including O&M and social casework and the discussion of isolation, because we know that that was something uh, affecting a lot of people. So thank you for that. Hello, um, I, I'm sorry to monopolize the conversation, but I really think it's important um, in the discussion about services for the older blind program to emphasize that uh, the New York State Vision Rehabilitation Association, NIVRA, has been advocating for the last few years to get the state to give the commission more money to serve the older blind population. We have not had an increase in over 15 years. The amount of money that the commission is able to give for these services is extremely limited, as was just explained. But the state contribution has been reduced rather than increased. And we think this is a perfect opportunity with a new governor to advocate that the state invest more state dollars to supplement the very, very small amount of money that the commission gets from the federal government. The federal government gives the state and the commission money for what's called the OIB program, which we call ALP, but that money has not increased. And so the commission's hands are tied because they can only distribute the amount of money they have. And unless the pot is increased, it's going to be impossible to provide the services that are truly needed, not only because of the digital divide, but because of the increase in the number of older people that are living in New York State. So it, it really is an advocacy effort to get the state to add more money into the budget that would go directly to the commission to serve the older blind population. Um, I also absolutely agree that the commission has been proactive with collaborating with the state office for the aging. The state office for the aging has access to a lot more federal dollars to serve the older population than the commission does. And it really is to the advantage of the older blind population for the state office for the aging to better understand the population in New York State. Uh, Greg Olson, the director 
of NYSOFA was invited by the commission to participate in White Cane Day. And he said in his remarks that 40% of the people that are served in programs funded by the New York State Commission, uh, funded by the New York State Office for the Aging, report that they have a functional vision loss. So he sees the visually impaired older population as part of the mandate and the services that NYSOFA can provide. Unfortunately, they do not have specialized assistive technology trainers. They do not have uh, vision rehab therapists or orientation and mobility specialists. They don't have the specialized professionals that we have. So it's gonna be critical to get New York State as a whole, particularly the governor's office, to understand the gap that exists right now in serving the older blind and older visually impaired population. And, and I commend the commission for being, you know, very forthright and, and um, really uh, focused on outreach for a collaboration with the state office for the aging and they are very open to it. And in fact, it was part of our priority um, this year on our legislative papers. So as, as an advocacy organization, we are certainly trying our hardest as well to um, get uh, New York State to recognize the needs, need for additional funding. And as well, I uh, you know thank the Commission for the Blind for their ongoing um, efforts and um, seeing the need um, you know for the additional funding and programming for our older uh, community. Um, so thank you, Nancy, for all of your thoughts and comments today. Um, any other hands? All right. So just as a, a little bit of follow-up, I will say that over the last year, I've had a lot of communication with Julie, and I just want to recognize her and thank her for her prompt and efficient service in getting back to me through emails and phone calls and on a whole lot of dis different issues, not just necessarily blind-related issues, but issues that do affect the blind community from some other uh, perspective, some mental health issues, some uh, just all around um, great communication with Julie Hovey. I recommend anybody who has any questions, she's very responsive and is more than willing to get back to you, you know, at her earliest convenience, with, which I truly find to be very efficient. So I do thank you for that, Julie. Uh, Jane, you know it's always a pleasure to work with you. I can't say enough good things. It would be a long laundry list that would go on for an hour. And I don't think anybody wants. <laughs> Thank you. So ladies and gentlemen, this was the New York State Commission for the Blind Town Hall meeting. Um, if we can all give them a little bit of an applause for being here. And thank you so much.